Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares, and by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. This is Brian Barnett, the creator of The Last Symptom, the show you're listening to now. I'm so happy that you're here with me this week, and uh, welcome to The Last Symptom. We're here, here at The Last Symptom, we talk about authentic recovery from emotional disorders, which includes borderline personality disorder, but is in by no means limited uh, to borderline personality disorder. Here we talk about emotional disorders, and unfortunately, because of the professional community, there is some confusion about what is a, an emotional disorder, what is mental illness, what is mental health, what is emotional health. And uh, I don't, don't know what to tell you about that. Here at The Last Symptom, you, you get to sort all those things out and get the truth. Uh, you don't get it from them. But happy Thursday and welcome back or welcome for the first time to The Last Symptom. This show was originally called The Last Symptom of Borderline Personality Disorder. A lot of people said, boy, that's a mouthful. I said, no, it's not. It's, it's timing. It's timing, you see. It's, it's rhythm. If you say it right, The Last Symptom of Borderline Personality Disorder, it, it just rolls right off the tongue. But even though they were wrong about the title being too long, they were right that the title left out too many people. And that's why I dropped off the borderline personality disorder thing. Got a lot of people saying, well, I don't apply, so uh, there's no reason for me to listen to this show. And uh, that just wasn't right. <laughs> Anybody with any emotional issues should be listening to this show. Let's see, what are we going to be talking about this week? Well, <clears throat> I got a funny story. <clears throat> you know, I'm a storyteller. Because I'm from the South, the Appalachian South. And I got a funny story. You know, I was just watching the other night, um, uh, Lincoln. You know, the movie with uh, by Steven Spielberg. And starring... Daniel Day-Lewis. What a great movie. But um, uh, Lincoln, throughout the movie, gets off on these side tangents of telling stories and uh, sharing memories of his life with people. And all the Yankees, that is all the Northerners and um, people from Washington there, all would get pretty frustrated with him. But that's just the way we are. We, we 
we tell lessons through stories. So I have a funny story that I want to tell you, and it has no lesson. We're going to talk about unhealthy parents and their ongoing manipulation. So you've grown up, you moved out, the manipulation continues. And finally, I'm going to share with you folks an acoustic song sung by me uh, to end the show. <laughs> could either be a blessing or a curse. It's a song originally recorded by Keith Whitley. Mm-hmm. How many of you know him? How many of you can figure out the song if I tell you that this Keith Whitley song was later recorded and made famous by Alison Krauss and it's a song that people of the world over know and love but they probably don't know was originally pop country and then turned into bluegrass bluegrass is my favorite style of music and if you go on to Apple Music you can find every subgenre of music but you can't find bluegrass and um, here's one thing I've noticed about that there definitely there definitely is a bias <laughs> on Apple Music because if I love you know when you're on Apple Music uh, supposedly theoretically the music you love your Apple Music is supposed to recommend more of that to you I will love 900 bluegrass songs and then I will love three reggaeton songs when it comes the day to get my recommendations from Apple Music you know what the recommendations are 900 reggaeton songs and three bluegrass songs so there's definitely a bias there and I'll tell you this um, on my ratings for Apple Podcasts for this show you would think that the most recent reviews would be the ones that you would see up front right no no that's not the way it works somebody complained that I used terminology um, that is classic classic terminology yeah so for example I use terms like he and she <laughs> right um, and uh, somebody was offended that I that I don't use neutral terms to describe people well that comment that rating uh, has been pushed to the forefront so anybody who is thinking about listening to the last symptom podcast that that's the first review they see that somebody is complaining that I use terms like he or and she rather than neutral terms and that review was from a long time ago there's been many great reviews since then and yet they push this one the negative one to the front now I will say that the person who did complain 
that I did not um, submit to that sort of speech, uh, the person I thought was fair. I thought they were fair. Uh, they said that the show was good, there was a lot of good information, but that they felt left out because I didn't speak in this new code that um, uh, <laughs> the world is constantly putting me in a, in a tighter and tighter spot here. You know, I want to be welcome to, uh, welcoming to, uh, to everybody, but the world is putting me in a tighter and tighter spot every day, so um, this is probably inevitable. My responsibility is to speak truth, whether people like it or not. Emotional disorders are rooted in distorted thinking and unhealthy perceptions and denial. There are a lot of people Um, who are suffering Pe people who are suffering and who are confused you know who that they do you know the ideologies and help that are most appealing to them the ideologies and help that are not helpful at all but that appease them those people are not going to get healthy those people aren't going to get healthy I care about everybody I care about all sorts of people my primary objective and interest is in people being healthy I don't want to tell you how to live. Um, you know, a lot of you know that I'm uh, that I'm a God-fearing guy. Uh, God is very important to me. The Bible is very important to me. But I've never pushed that down your throat, and I never will, because I say to myself, if it's not directly related to authentic recovery then I don't need to talk about it. So there are other topics like that, like LGBTQ to infinity, that uh, I've purposely avoided because it's not relevant to the work that I do um, but you know what, what has happened is that with time uh, a lot of people ignore the fundamental principles that I, I teach they do not honestly apply them to themselves it just goes right over their heads denial is a fundamental aspect of emotional unhealth
not emotional health. I don't know what this is going to mean for the future of the Last Symptom podcast. It might get banned, it might get canceled, whatever. Um, But I reckon that's all right because I I can't speak an untruth to people who I would like to see get better. To get better, you know, what is denial? Denial is because of the way we feel about a thing. We say, that's not true. That's not true. Because I don't like the way it makes me feel. But are matters of reality, are they subject to how we feel about things? The answer is no. So if a person is very confused and hurting and upset and is interested in genuinely getting better, what do they have to do? They have to reject denial. What is the opposite of denial? The opposite of denial is acceptance. And what is that? It's being able to look at a thing and seeing it for what it is, for what it really is, no matter how we feel about it. So, society right now is very um, consumed by denial. Those of you who are escaping this sort of um, reality where you know reality is defined by whatever you feel you're observing this the same as I am and you know the hard part for me is that uh, saying these things I know that I'll be accused of not caring or of being hateful again the, the term hate has been hijacked and used in a very destructive way the reality is that I don't hate anybody I, I care about everybody. I care about everybody that um, follows the last symptom. And I'm, I'm saddened and I'm hurt watching the world that is uh, facilitating pain and disorder This is not easy because I, my my <laughs> for for a lot of reasons. Anything that causes people to tune out does not work in my favor. Doesn't work in my favor. Doesn't work, and, and whatever does not work to my favor does not work to the favor of anybody who wants to get healthy because if I can't communicate a message then uh, nobody can hear it nobody can be influenced by it and that is why I have moved to the locals platform where I can say whatever I want
Let me tell you the story that half of you will think is racist and the other half will know is not racist. I spent last weekend in Toledo, Ohio. I'm a big uh, Mud Hens fan, believe it or not. Mud Hens. What a spunky name. And uh, a lot of you will remember that my best friend Jordan, who I often talk about, he was killed in a car accident in 2005 in Toledo, Ohio. He was 28 years old. I'm, I just turned 46. Now, Jordan was always two years younger than me. So if he were alive today, that means that Jordan would be 44 right now. Do you reckon that I've spent some time thinking and imagining him still being alive and being 44 here with me today? I sure have. Yeah, I sure have. It almost uh, makes me very sad. But I believe that the people I love I'll see him again in the future. And uh, that includes his father who also died. But 28, that's just way too young. Way too young. And I think about all the experiences I've had since 2005 when he was killed in that accident and, and all the experiences he might have had. And I miss him a lot. There are so many stories for me to tell you about Jordan. Um, one I wrote down today, I, I keep a running list of stories I'd like to tell you folks. One of the stories is about me cleaning his room. I did this two times that I can remember. He had the filthiest room that I've ever seen. And um, I thought I was doing him a favor my cleaning his room I, I snuck into his bedroom window one time and I spent like three hours cleaning his room and he hated it <laughs> it was terrible he didn't like it uh, because even though his room looked like it had been hit by a nuclear bomb apparently he there was a, a pattern to his madness and and he knew where things were so when I cleaned his room and I organized everything, suddenly he didn't know where anything was. My friend Jordan. I, I want to tell you that story in greater detail later later on. And, and there's another story I'd like to tell you later on. There's going to be a lot of tears in that story. And, and that's Jordan's dad, my Cherokee mentor, Dave. I spent a month with him in hospice. He was dying from... Parkinson's disease and so I was with him in hospice and for the whole month went up to see him I said uh, I'm going to come up here I told his uh, wife Judy I'm going to come up here and we'll spend all the time I need to spend here she said can you do that I said yes I can and I'm going to so I took a, a duffel bag up to Toledo Ohio and I spent what turned out to be a month with Dave and that allowed her to 
sleep in her own bed, take care of the house, take care of the pets, and that sort of thing. And when Dave died, it was just uh, him and me. So, I reckon I'll have to tell that story eventually. One one thing I would like to tell you about that is, um, you know, we often talk about feelings and uh, processing feelings. And it basically, it just means coming to terms with them. It, it means not running from them and sitting with them and thinking about them until we've processed them and, and um, we've allowed them to affect us. Here's the thing about uh, Dave when he died. I remember me feeling numb. I didn't feel anything. I remember a long drive back home not feeling anything. I didn't feel anything. And here's somebody who was so near and dear to me. I had just watched him die in person, nobody else around. And, and I drove back home, and I didn't feel a thing. I didn't feel anything. I knew that I should feel sad, but I didn't feel sad. I knew I should feel lots of things, and I didn't feel lot. I didn't feel anything. I drove south like a log. <laughs> I, I wasn't feeling anything. But just because I wasn't feeling anything in that moment does not mean that the feelings were not inside of me. And those feelings come out about a year and a half later. So for like a year and a half, I walked around like a, like a statue. I don't know how to describe it. I walked around like a statue. And then I don't, I don't remember exactly what was going on, but um, it was kind of like my system at that point was ready to to draw in these memories and this experience and I did and it just demolished me it demolished me I cried so hard I uh, it affected me so much but the reality is that it was affecting me throughout the year was affecting me throughout the year and that's why it's so important to process you know come to terms with uh, serious things like that because they don't go away and just because we're not feeling them it doesn't mean they're not buried in us somewhere so the only person left from that family is the mom her name is Judy in Toledo, Ohio, they have a triple-A baseball team called the Mud Hens, as I've mentioned, and I'm a big fan of the Mud Hens. They're the triple-A team for the Detroit Tigers. So the players they're trying to, to develop play with the Mud Hens beautiful park that they've got there in Toledo, Ohio. Another famous as, uh, part, aspect or part of Toledo, Ohio is Tony Paco's. Tony Paco's makes the best hot dogs in the world. 
they're not even really hot dogs they're kind of like sausages they're like kind of like german sausages and the thing about tony pacos is that um every celebrity in the world has been there uh, the original restaurant is on front street if you go in there if you go in any tony pacos what you'll find are signed hot dog buns displayed on the walls now one thing I learned is that Tony Paco's uh, began this this hot dog bun signing tradition began with Burt Reynolds began with Burt Reynolds back in the 70s he was the first major celebrity to stop in at Tony Paco's and he somebody asked for a, an autograph and he said well hand me a hot dog bun and so Burt Reynolds Smokey and the Bandit signed his autograph onto a hot dog bun and that's how it got started now if you go to a, into a Tony Paco's there are thousands of hot dog buns signed by celebrities and politicians and that sort of thing now one thing that I've learned is that um, modern day hot dog bun that celebrities sign is not a real hot dog bun I was kind of disappointed in that I thought that they had developed some kind of high tech preservation system for these things but no uh, they're, they're foam hot dog buns but you walk around you look at the walls and you're reading the, the celebrity autographs and it's kind of cool while I was up in Toledo, I had the first fresh New England oysters that I've had since 2019. They fly them in fresh from New England. Raw oysters. Oh my goodness, you're talking about an orgasmic experience. I love fresh oysters. And so that was wonderful. I was there with Judy. Here's the story. Here's the racist story that half of you will think is racist and the other half will know is not. Uh, Judy, her best friends are all black. And one of her best friends is named Betty. And Judy does lots of things with Betty. Um, when I was in hospice with Dave, a lot of these friends would come in to visit and I, I was introduced to many of them including Betty Judy and Betty sometimes go out for breakfast together or lunch or brunch or supper and uh, they were at a brunch <laughs> together at Judy <laughs> with uh, Betty and a couple other friends and Judy had just finished her supper <laughs> and uh, so the waitress come back to the table and said uh, is there anything else I can get you and Judy said yeah I, I would like a cup of coffee and the waitress said alright <laughs> sounds good um, should I bring you some cream and <laughs> And Judy said, uh, no, I, I'll just take it black, like Betty. 
<laughs> and she thumbed over at Betty. <laughs> and the waitress <laughs> sat there with her mouth agape. But, uh, because <laughs> Betty's black. <laughs> and Judy said, No, I want my coffee black. <laughs> like Betty, and thumbed over at, this, at her black friend. <laughs> oh, but here's the thing is that <laughs> Betty had just finished ordering her coffee. <laughs> had just finished her ordering her coffee. And when they asked how she wanted it. <laughs> oh, Betty said no, just black. <laughs> so then they went to Judy. <laughs> and said, oh, do you want some cream? And Judy said, no, I want my, <laughs> I want my coffee black, like Betty. <laughs> And pointed over at her black friend. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Hmm. All right. Let's get into uh, today's official discussion an adult we'll just call him Teddy recently said to me I was having a conversation with my parent about the things I've been learning from the last symptom and about things I needed as a child but didn't get and my parent said well what were we you know the parents supposed to do given the circumstances Teddy says he's now been locked on this he says I can't figure out how they could have fulfilled what I needed and I'm beginning to wonder if they have a good point so here's my question for you do you see how Teddy is being suckered by an expert con artist. Can you see it? How is Teddy being suckered by an expert con artist? How has Teddy allowed his focus to be misdirected away from the healthy principles and healthy laws that govern emotional health that should be guiding Teddy's entire perspective and thinking here. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because I'm, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that Teddy's not the only one who has encountered or is encountering the situation and is being manipulated by an unhealthy parent. Let me ask you this. Has there ever been a time 
in Teddy's entire life when it's been Teddy's responsibility as his parents' child to figure out for his parents how they should have done their jobs better as his parents? Is it ever a son or daughter's job to work out for his or her parents the details of how they can be or could have been good parents and to explain the details for them? It has never been and it will never be Teddy's responsibility to figure these things out for his mom and dad. You see, Teddy doesn't have to allow himself to be suckered in to this situation at all, into feeling like he is responsible for coming up with these answers. There's no situation at all, none, short of his parents being dead, that excuses parents from, the re- from their responsibilities. This is the only thing that Teddy has to remember. If Teddy recognizes that this is the truth, that nothing exempts parents from living up to their responsibilities to their children, period, then Teddy doesn't have to figure out how they might have done better, how they could have done better. All Teddy has to keep in mind is, one, it was their responsibility to do it, and two, they didn't do it. So, it's Teddy's parents, and only Teddy's parents, who are responsible for figuring out the specifics of what they could have done differently or what they can do differently and how to live up to their their responsibilities as their child it is not Teddy's responsibility to do this for them so do you see how the same parents who failed in their responsibilities to begin with are still living with the same disgusting, unhealthy attitude of non-responsibility now, even 30, 40, or 50 years later. It's disgusting. Instead of doing an honest self-examination and coming up with real answers, answers that probably do not fit into their self-centered way of living 
They want to chuck the job over to Teddy and make him figure it out for them. You see that? They want to chuck the job over to Teddy because it's, it's too much work. Uh, too much work. Eh. Too much work for us. What, what do you expect of us to sit around and think about this sort of thing? Here, <clears throat> we're going to chuck it off over onto you. You figure out how we could have been better parents and, and then you tell us. I mean, it's not going to make any difference. We're not going to listen to you. But you do it. You figure it out. Hopefully, you cannot imagine doing this to your own sons or daughters. Hopefully. As parents of our own children, the burden for figuring out the details of how we are going to best provide for their emotional, mental, and physical needs and protection is ours alone. The responsibility for any failures in this regard are, are ours and ours alone. If you're a parent, can you imagine? Can you imagine your little three-year-old son or daughter? Can you imagine putting the burden on them to figure out how you should do your job the best? It's not their responsibility. It's your responsibility. Can you imagine putting upon them the responsibility of telling you how to parent them in the best way. It's so obnoxious. It's so obnoxious. Oh, what we were supposed to do given the circumstances. We're sorry that we ruined your life, but uh, what, were we, what were, were we supposed to do? It was the 70s. It was the 60s. What were, what were we supposed to do? <clears throat> Can you imagine doing that to your own children? Your little three-year-old son or your little three-year-old daughter? Hey, what? If, if you don't think I'm doing it right, you tell me what to do. <laughs> you, you tell me. You figure it out. And you let me know. Because it's too much work for me. You see how screwed up that is. Very screwed up. As parents of our own children, the burden for figuring out the details of how we are going to best provide for their emotional, mental, and physical needs and protection, that responsibility is ours alone. It's not their responsibility. The responsibility for any failures in this regard are, are ours and ours alone. It's not our children's responsibility, and it's not their fault, and it's not their job to show us the way. You don't believe you don't deserve to be a parent if you're if you think that way. You don't deserve to be a parent. Being a parent is one of the greatest privileges of life. And if you don't view it that way, 
you don't deserve to be a parent. It's not our children's fault, and it's not their responsibility, and it's not their job to show us the way. How utterly selfish, immature, and absurd. So if your parents ever pull out the what were we supposed to do what were we supposed to do here give me my little binky give me my little chupete Get, pop a little bottle in my mouth with some breast milk your parents ever pull out the what, what was I supposed to do thing you say this you you were supposed to have figured out the details to that then and you, you, are still responsible for figuring that out now. Grow up. Leave it there, at their feet, where it belongs. Do not allow them to do that to you. They're trying to chuck off a responsibility onto you that only belongs to them and has only ever belonged to them. Don't carry their question away with you bouncing it around in your head trying to answer it for yourself it's misdirection it's con artistry con artistry there's no sense in using your own mental energies and efforts and work to figure out answers to questions that are not and have never been yours to answer. No, you leave it with those it properly does belong to. My daughter runs out into the street, gets hit by a car. It's almost unimaginable. Um, I I can't even go there imagining something like that. But... let's say that she did and then let's imagine that my neighbor comes over and he starts saying like gosh what the heck was she thinking what's her problem boy how irresponsible she was it's not my daughter's job to keep her out of the street it's my job it's my job and anybody who would suggest that she should explain to me the best ways I should go about keeping her out of the street is a fucktard unbelievably offensive that's my responsibility so when your parents say what were we we supposed to do I don't even know why you're talking to them in the first place you shouldn't be talking to them Why are you talking to those people? Because they're your parents? They're bad for you. Get away from them. Cut them out of your life. Your life will be better. Anything that is bad for you, you should cut out of your life. And that includes parents who say, well, what were we supposed to do? Do, do you see the con, artist, con artistry there? there? 
what they should be sitting around and figuring out, they're throwing onto your shoulders so that you sit around and try to figure it out. Matters of responsibility are not based on um, convenience. All right. So it's not like, well, our parents were born in the 60s and it would have been really hard. It would have been really hard for them to find books or information about being good parents. Do you see the con artistry there? Matters of responsibility are not based on convenience. It's not like, well, you're right. It would have been really hard. Would have been really hard for them to figure out how to be good parents, so gotta let them off the hook. No, no, that's not the way it works. The way it works is it would have been really hard. Gosh, there weren't there weren't so many books published on good parenting. It doesn't matter. It was still their responsibility to find the books that are out there about good parenting it was still their responsibility to talk to the people who are good parents it was still their responsibility to be good parents no matter what if there were no books published on the subject that doesn't make their responsibility to be good parents go away don't let your parents bridle you with what is only their responsibility this is simply the continuance of them shirking their responsibilities off onto their own children. It's disgusting. It's revolting. You wouldn't do it to your own kids. I don't know why you're putting up with it from your parents. Why would you put up with anything from your parents that you would not ever tolerate you doing to your own kids? You continue visiting these people on the weekends. You continue going on vacations with them. You continue emailing them weekly. Why? Why? If they're bad for you, why? Because you're in denial. You're not honest with yourself. And you're allowing your emotional connections to control your life. You're allowing your emotions to make decisions for you. Stop doing that. It's it's stupid. Most of you listening to me need to cut your parents out of your life entirely. And guess how many of you will do that? Um, I'm guessing one-tenth. One-tenth will actually do what has to be done to be healthy. Because you feel bad about cutting these people out of your life I can't do that nope can't do that well they make my life miserable they're on they're bad for me but I can't do that because of imaginary reasons when you escape the imaginary reasons you'll start getting somewhere um, here are some comments so this was originally an article that I'd written on the group uh, Jay Lee says, boy, I needed to read this today. Thank you. My father's been hitting me with this argument a lot lately. I did the best I could, and I haven't known how to respond. Thank you for the succinct and accurate way to put it back on him 
and not do his work for him. H.J. says, this is the hardest part of recovery so far for me. M.B. says, my parents did this to me my whole life, and it infuriated me that they took no responsibility for not doing their jobs. Now I'm a parent, and I gotta say, I make a lot of mistakes, but I know one thing for sure. Raising them is my job. And I take it quite seriously. It's not about making it through the day. It's about who they will be when they walk out my door. And I have to say to my parents, grow the F up. JWF says, I get I did the best I could excuse for my mother. Like her inability to be an emotionally healthy parent somehow justifies her inexcusable abuse. SDR says, This is how my understanding of my inherent rights, responsibility, and authority over my thoughts, feelings, and actions developed so erroneously. I lived with that perspective for 52 years due to constant reinforcement described by Brian Barnett. I was still suckering my adult children until last year, dumping my crap on them until I found the last symptom. What I was also doing was shaming them. I wanted them to feel bad to silence them I didn't want to hear any criticism violating their circles in the sand was quote unquote normal it was what I knew it was how I protected myself it was a symptom of borderline personality disorder but I knew what I was doing my perspectives were so skewed and entangled this resulted in constant disharmony and no understanding of boundaries. Thank you, the last symptom, for teaching me what my parents should have taught me. Although I failed in my responsibilities to my children, I have been given the opportunity to be an emotionally healthy grandmother. HP says I've been getting the, what What were we supposed to do? Well, give me my little... Chupete, my little uh, biberon, my give, hand me a bottle of warm milk, line from my mom. I had a great discussion with Brian about this topic last week. I don't have to forgive or give her credit, quote unquote, for the list she spurts out of what my parents did correctly. What I can do is just accept that my parents let me down and move forward. Acceptance versus forgiveness. Ladies and gentlemen, I forgot to mention to you thelastsymptom.com. That's my website full of free resources. Don't forget we're about to get into the music here. Thelastsymptom.locals L-O-C-A-L-S dot com is my modern, exceptional, last symptom social media account and uh, hundreds of people there to interact with all with um, similar situations 
and things that they're dealing with. Um, the uh, daily orange slices appear exclusively on thelastsymptom.locals.com. Orange slices are condensed video insights or highlights, uh, you know, things to think about that are on average between five to ten minutes. I try to keep them to five minutes, but sometimes I, I get windy. Uh, those are exclusively on thelastsymptom.locals.com. My main website, thelastsymptom.com, offers a lot of free, pay, uh, free resources, but some paid resources too. You can talk one-on-one with me, on the phone or through Zoom. And there is an intensive The Last Symptom course. You know, if you compare it to anything else out there, it's such a bargain um, and it supports my work go look at it over at thelastsymptom.com in the paid services tab it's a, it's a two week intensive course it'll change your life and with that I'm going to leave you with the song I promised you originally recorded by Keith Whitley and then later re-recorded by Allison Krauss. Now, there's nobody that can sing as well as Keith Whitley or Allison Krauss. So, you lower your expectations. It's amazing how you can speak right to my heart. something like this when I busted up Juanita the last time. It's amazing how you can speak right to my heart. Without saying a word, you can light up the dark. Let's me know that you need me There's a truth in your eyes Saying you'll never leave me The touch of your hand says you'll catch me If ever I fall You say it best When you say nothing at all Catch me if ever I fall.
Do 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 do. 